Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. So this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast, and this is episode 33, I believe. Uh, man, you do so many of these, honestly, and they, uh, if you don't look, you lose track. Um, but it I, all blurs together. it all blurs together. It's like, I heard Cody Rich, uh, year episodes ago, he, he said something like, I feel like I don't even hunt anymore. I just talk about hunting and I, I'm starting to get to that point. Uh, but I, but I love it. It's, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me cause I love it, but. Um, speaking of things that you love, I've got, uh, so I've got Steve Sorensen, better, probably better known as Antler Buyer, um, at least on Instagram, um, for episode 33 and, um, perfect introduction. Cause talk, talk about where you're at, Steve, and what you're doing. Right now we're up in Jackson Hole getting ready for the, uh, Boy Scout auction that happens the third weekend in May every year. Okay. And, uh, we're just kind of at the pre-sale to that. And uh, we've got a spot on the square to sell some antlers, and uh, we've just been here for a couple of days buying, selling, and trading with with all the other big dealers from around the country and even Canada. So wow, what? Uh, so they're just auctioning off, auctioning off uh, antlers for for the Boy Scouts. Is that yep? That yep. Simple? What, what they do is the Boy Scouts get to pick them up on the refuge. Nobody else can. Oh. And uh, they auction them off every year in the, on Saturday at the square, and the Boy Scouts get 10% of that, and the other 90% goes back into running the refuge. I think it mainly goes into buying feed for the elk and, uh, like, trucks to feed them out of. I think they feed them a pellet from what I've been told. and So the 90% goes back to the refuge to run it and stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a that's a good deal. I know the Boy Scouts are in a a little bit of a kind of a, a transition or a shaky time or you know, I, I don't know what you would call it. Um you know, and I, and we don't need to get into the poli- I politics I don't of that. Think we can talk about it without being politically correct. <laughs> yeah, well, if I know one thing, I know that I don't care about being politically correct. So <laughs> But yeah, no, it's, uh, it's not somewhere we need to go, but that that's, uh, anyway, it's just, it's all I'll say is it's changed from when I was a kid and, you know, and I was, uh, working on my scout, my merit badges and Eagle scouts and stuff. It just, yeah. I, I, whether it's changed or not, it's, I think it's going to change here in the near future. And, and that's, that's life, you know, things in life, uh, seem to just change. Uh, that's how it goes, but yeah. Well, cool. When uh, so you're you're obviously big into shed hunting. When did uh, when did your passion for that start? You know, I my dad had a big trophy room when I was growing up, and you know I used to stare at his his big old bucks that he'd killed over the years and see a stack of antlers in the barn, and uh, it's it started as young as I can remember. I mean, as soon as he basically told me that deer dropped their antlers. 
you know, I just said, well, you're hunting them. Why don't we hunt the sheds, you know? And he would always cuss me growing up. We'd be, we'd be sitting up on a big, big side hill and I'd be glassing the dry side. And he knew exactly what I was doing. He'd <laughs> say, quick glassing for sheds, glass for deer, you know? And I just became intrigued by it at a very young age. I remember at, I had to be six, seven years old with my cousins all spreading out, looking, you know, I'm telling them what to look for, and we're finding dead deer and everything in one of the bigger winter ranges around my my house, and, uh, you know, it just, just went from there. And I got teased in high school, and everybody, well, why do you pick those up, you know, and everything like that, and it's crazy to think back and uh, see where it's see where it's sitting now versus back then you know and during prime time and everything i was you know too young to have have a driver's license or anything and but as soon as i did i was traveling all over wyoming all summer long fighting the mosquitoes out where we'd go and you know you'd never see a boot track never see a motorcycle or a four-wheel track and that was late may into june yeah and, uh, boy, has it changed now, but man, so, so goes life. Yeah. Like we, like we were saying just barely everything changes, man. I, uh, I got my first taste, you know, I'm, I'm not, those of you who listened before, I'm not a big shed hunter. Um, we went out a couple weekends ago just because really to get our, our, uh, pack llamas some experience, you know, just, and, uh, you know, but we were, we want to find sheds and we we're in what I would consider a pretty hot spot, um, for elk in Nevada. And man, imagine the heartbreak when we take off, you know, into this big Canyon that we we're going to go hit. And there's this guy's four wheeler tracks, um, up, up, a, up on the flats, you know, he was up in the sagebrush just doing, you know, S S turning back and forth. And then, uh, <laughs> And then we thought, well, we'll drop down in the canyon. No, he had dropped off somewhere in the canyon and was riding up the wash too. <laughs> and uh, you know, we we yeah, found a set in that canyon, but it, the only spot we found it, there was a little pinch point where he couldn't get through for probably I don't know five hundred thousand yards maybe. And uh, that's where we found this little brown set. And then after that, his tracks picked back up, and we didn't find anything. And I, who who knows? But. Yeah, man, talk about a change in the last like ten years. Um, just it's uh, oh, man, I I don't know if it's getting out of hand. I don't know if it's just uh, it's good because so many people are passionate about it. But when when guys are doing that, that's when that's when problems are going to come from it. You know. Yeah, and I I always try to get away. I think I hurt myself. I think I could find a lot more sheds if I'd stick closer. Closer to the trailheads and closer to the roads, I think I overthink it a lot. But, uh, you know, we always try to go deep, and the elk aren't always deep. You know, the groceries aren't always deep. Um, they, they like that green that green grass, the fields, et cetera, you know, and, and uh, the open meadows where the foliers and the roads are. And, and I think I hurt myself a lot of time, but, you know, I go shed hunting more now, Dustin, just to clear my head. You know, I've got a house payment, a family now and everything. And, you know, life can suck. And uh, I go to, it's not always about the shed horns. I go to get lost and uh, have a good time with friends. And, of course, we're looking for sheds. And, of course, we want to find them. But it's just more getting out and getting away from my adult responsibilities that I'm not very good at anyways. But, mm. uh, 
just getting out and, you know, having a little therapy, as we call it in our group. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, you know, and I'm I'm not going to pretend like I'm, you know, some 50-year seasoned vet or anything like that. I mean, I'm I'm still, I guess, relatively young, but I find the older that I get, um, the more even just hunts, hunts themselves are more like that for me where um, I find myself not caring as much about the trophy and I know that that seems counter, um, you know, that, no, that's, that seems opposite I know, of... I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, know you know, exactly I'm I'm more interested in, like, are my buddies going to be there? Like, is this a, is this going to be a sweet place to camp? You know, can we get away from people? Can we just, like you said, just clear our heads? Um, you know, and and don't don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I'm after, you know, if I draw an elk tag in Nevada this year, I'm after a 400-incher and all that kind of stuff, but, like... It just the the pendulum. I can I can just see the pendulum starting to switch shift to where I'm I'm more concerned about what you're saying, like clearing my head and just enjoying life, than I am about you know the the success necessarily, if that makes sense. But yep, exactly. Yeah. So you were shed hunting back before it was cool, man. Um, I've talked to a few guys. Uh, I talked to Jeremy Duggar when I was down in New Mexico. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's just a good old boy that's been hunting his whole life and loves it. And, and we were talking about shed hunting down in New Mexico. And he said, man, I I used to shed hunt, you know, before it was cool. And we just come out and clean house. And uh, <laughs> that, I mean, if you, you've obviously seen it change uh, over your, whatever you want to call it, your life or your career. I mean, what, what was it like back before it got we, how it is me and my dad would go out and uh for some reason we had a four horse trailer but we'd never take a pack horse <laughs> and it seemed like he'd take me out in wyoming middle of may um at least once a year sometimes we'd make a early trip in the car and hike around and uh shoot coyotes and pick up horns but you know I can remember at the end of the day not even wanting to get off my horse. I had so many sheds poking out of the saddlebags and tied onto the back that, you know, if it was big and wide or chalk, you know, I'd pick up a 180-inch buck. It was wide or chalk. And if it didn't have a cheater or something, I'd look at it and I'd hang it in the sagebrush and climb back on my horse. (laughs) And, man, I just, that's one of my biggest regrets is not being a little older. And, 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 you know, taking, taking full opportunity of those times and having a driver's license and, you know, having my own things, my own horse trailer, my own mules and horses, um, and not taking a pack horse. And I went with my dad just, you know, we always, we always hunt with a pack horse and man, I should have, I wish I could go back and, and say, dad, let's take the four horse trailer out there and, <laughs> and uh, take a pack horse because. We left a lot of horns behind hanging in the sagebrush, man. You're you're that guy. Um, you know, you're you're the guy that puts those antlers there that I come around and I'm like, whoa, this is not, the craziest drop ever. <laughs> not no. anymore, man. If it's if it's if I'm fresh and I'm not saddle sore yet, I'll get off for anything and throw it in in the pack mill. I just it's all worth a little money, and you know. You keep an area cleaned up so if somebody does come in, they don't say, oh, you know, they do winter here, you know. And yeah. I just, I try to pick up everything. Yeah. You, you can't, uh, you can't afford not to these days with how competitive it is. Yep. Yeah. So it, it sounds like to me, it was one of those, uh, 
one of those uh, things like you, you almost didn't know how good you had it back then, right? Um, until you yeah. kind of don't realize it anymore and it's too late. You know, and that, that, uh, that's life. That's, that's business, everything in life, you know, business, everything. You know, you don't realize how good you have it until it changes, and then you're just sitting there going, I wish, I wish, I wish, you know. <laughs> you know, but, and that's, it's funny you say that, because it's, it's something that I actually consciously have tried to teach myself over, I would say, the last maybe 10 years that, um, you know, because I've, I've had a few defining points in my life, like, like high, as far back as, like, junior high, and then high school, and then college, and then my first, like, you know, five or five years of marriage or whatever. And you always look back, you always look back. And like you're saying, it's like, man, like if I would have known how good I had it when I was just in high school and I had nothing to worry about, oh, man, man, if I knew how good I had it in college when I still didn't have anything to worry about, and I, but I was free and like, you know, oh man, like, and so I've like, now I'm like, whoa, put the brakes on. Like, okay, what's, like, what's the moment now that I need to be, like, in and, and enjoy so that when I'm, you know, 50, I don't look back and say, oh. I, I love that you're thinking like that. I mean, that's just, you know, that's life, and, and, and you got you to gotta pick it apart, and you got to say, you know, what am I supposed to be enjoying? And right now, you know, I've got a daughter that she won't let me lead her on the mule anymore. She wants to ride it by herself, and I always <laughs> give her grief, and, you know, and I... I've got to focus on that right now and just say, you know, this is what, this is what I'll be looking back on in five years, 10 years. So you better enjoy it. Sorenson. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's a mentality change. It's, uh, because you're going to be doing what you're doing anyway. But when you look back, it's like, man, why did I not look at it differently? You know, why, like, why wasn't I seeing it through different eyes? And so it's like, okay, like I'm in this moment, you know, maybe it's just me out to dinner with my wife or maybe it's a hunt or maybe it doesn't matter, but like, okay, what, like, like, how should I really be appreciating this? So yeah, that's, that's, that's good advice, man. I appreciate that. No, and and it's cool that they hear other guys are thinking that way because it's just, you know, the small things are, are, you know, the older I get, the more important the small things are becoming to me. Yeah. And uh, sometimes you don't always recognize those small things, and you got to kind of sit back and take it all in, and and uh, decide what those are, and enjoy those moments. Cause yeah, life goes by in a hurry. Do you have grandkids yet? I do not. I've got a seven year seven year old daughter. She'll be turning eight here shortly, and my boy's five, and he'll be turning six here shortly. Oh. Some, so you're just getting I started, got, man. I got married. Yep, I got married late. I had a lot of fun in my twenties. <laughs> I have no regrets and uh, had a lot, a lot of fun, man. I, yeah. I, I, I can't even remember who it was, but I ran into two good old boys, and they were around 65, telling me that they just retired and they can't hunt no more, but they're going fishing to Alaska. <laughs> and I was, I was maybe 20 when, when, when this conversation took place, and I said, you know what? I am not going to be that guy. If I have to be a Walmart greeter when I'm 70... <laughs> I'm going to do it because I want to enjoy my life. And I never look back from that point, you know, and and I'm so glad I did because, you know, I, I did a lot of playing in my younger years and just scraped and scrounged by, whether it was building chandeliers. Um, when I first got started, that's how I got started into buying antlers. 
whether it's building chandeliers, hunting coyotes for the $20 bounty and selling the pelts for 15 bucks. It was whatever I could do to scrape by and, you know, only have a job here and there, whether it was guiding or concrete in the summer, and uh, play as much as I could. And, you know, I might pay for that later. I don't, I don't have much of a retirement, and uh, I might pay for that later, but I have no regrets, Dustin. I yeah. have no regrets over doing that. You know, and that's that's another good point. I I hope my boss isn't listening. He doesn't listen to podcasts, so I I know he's not listening. But um, you know, it's it's for me, it happens every fall um, where I have this decision to make. Of I I know that maybe the you know there's always a couple of hunts that come up or a couple of adventures throughout the year, and it's like, man, I really shouldn't be taking this. And I I happen to be blessed with a job um, that's it's a hundred percent commission based sales job. And so to a certain extent, if I just don't work, I'm just not paying myself to another extent. If I don't, if I do that long enough, I'm going to lose my job. Cause I have, I still have people to answer to. Um, but, but you know, I, I make that decision and that I'm trying to, to, to walk that, that exact line every year. And, and basically all the time in my life of like, okay, like, is it really, worth it to just stay home and, and work this extra weekend or week or whatever, or like, screw it. I'm just going to go and I'm going to enjoy myself and then let the chips fall where they may, because I'm not going to be, you know, same, same thing. I don't want to be that, that guy. You know, I don't want to be that guy. That's a little tougher to do when you, when you have kids, Dustin, and yeah. you know, it's, you know, it worries me sick some years, you know, we have slow years, we have good years and, and, uh, it, Worried well, me sick just because you have, you know, a house payment, kids, and it seems like every second, whether it's schooling for your kids or soccer or something, somebody's handing you a bill. Yeah. And uh, the older you get, the tougher it gets to be ir- irresponsible. You know, and I, I actually believe, you know, that being said, the other side of the story is I, I actually believe that's why the good Lord intends us to have families is because if not, you just... <laughs> If we didn't have families you'd, and marriages, you'd just have all, all these guys out just quitting their jobs every week, you know. To, to, we, to go we'd to, all be living in vans down by the river. Yeah, we'd be, <laughs> yep, it'd be the good old, the, the wild, wild west, you know. And so I, I you're, you're right, too, on that, you know, that uh, it's it's interesting how that changes as, uh, you know, life's not always about you um, when you have a family. So that's that's good stuff, man. Yep. Back to your, uh, I had one more question about your uh, shed hunting. You were talking about, um, you know, glassing for sheds when you were younger and stuff. Did you guys ever use shed hunting for scouting? Like, did you ever think like, oh, we're, I'm going to look for sheds and like, so that we know where bulls winter so we can, you know, come kill them on the, on the winter range or anything like that? I've done a little bit of that. I drew, I drew my elk tag in Utah. I think it was 08. And uh, I went into a lot of areas that I'd never shed hunted, that I've heard rumors that bulls winter in and stuff, you know, looking for sheds um, of an elk that I would, you know, try to keep an eye on. And I drew the late tag in Utah. And on that late hunt, they're really close to where they're going to winter. Um, if, if you find their sheds, a lot of the time they're just, you know, within a mile um, of their sheds just slightly up canyon. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen a lot of bulls during the late hunt and then gone back and picked up their sheds. So, yeah, I've, I've done that. 
I've done that, but uh, I'm not one to scout a lot. Um, I'll go I'll go ride my mule in the summer times. I won't even take a pair of binoculars half the time. <laughs> I don't like finding a big buck and then worrying about him all summer and all fall long, whether he's, some archery hunter's going to kill him or a muzzleloader hunter's going to kill him or they're going to blow him out of the canyon. That is not fun for me. The last few bucks I've harvested, I've harvested in areas that I've never hunted that I just go into. I might have gone in there in the summertime and checked it out, but I've never hunted these areas, and I've never really scouted them other than just making sure I can get in there on a mule. And, and that, to me, is hunting anymore, just going and making your own luck, going to a spot you've never been before and just hunting like we used to. And I just, I get so uptight when I, when I do find a buck or see a buck or hear about a buck in one of my spots. And then you get all hateful because somebody else has camped there. They're camped in the wrong spot. So I just, I just wander. You know, I, I wake up at 3, 4 in the morning. And uh, we usually don't have to drive much more than 45 minutes. Jump on a mule and we, we go and uh, take a nap in the middle of the day because you're going to be riding back to the truck at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night and uh, hit it again the next day. And we do that all during general season. And, you know, that's, that's how I've started hunting lately. I'll hang a few cameras, but uh, I, don't, I don't use them to their full potential. I mean, it's like opening morning this year. I checked one of my cameras with my wife. I had a 180-inch buck on it. You know, <laughs> dandy of a buck. Really old buck. Had an awesome kicker. I pulled the card, put a new card in, and I left that area. And I never went back. That buck was there a week before in broad daylight. <laughs> and I'm like, Sorensen, why do you even hang cameras, you know? But I, just, I like seeing new country. I like hunting new places, whether it's sheds or hunting. I hate going to the same place and doing the same thing I did the year before and the year before that and the year before that. You know, I'm getting older. I want to see more country and learn more country, and that's how I hunt and shed hunt now. Yeah, talk, talk about things changing, um, you know, back even, and and I can definitely remember this, like the, the kind of the mentality that you're talking about was how it was 20 years ago when I started hunting with my dad, you know, uh what what was a trail camera what was what was what was scouting like it it really for us back then it wasn't a thing and and i'm sure there's still guys you know like you're saying like there's still guys today that do it but man have things changed with um you know i i hate to say social media you know and um you know i my my buddy and probably your buddy uh shed crazy i mean he's you know he just made a post the other day about um <laughs> you know this this complaint that everyone has about social media changing things. And I, I, I don't, I, I agree a hundred percent with him. Um, you know, we were, we were bragging about our, our deer kills and our elk kills long before social media ever came along. The platform just changed. That's all. Exactly. Um, but, but man, like how much it's changed with like the scouting and the trail cameras and, um, what's, what's been your kind of your take on that as you've watched that transition over the last, you know, 10, 20 years or whatever? Um, you know, I try not to get into the drama. The drama always seems to find us, but I try not <laughs> to get into it. Um, but you know, if, if you, if you think it's ethical and you're fine with it and your conscience is clear, you know, I, I say, I say do it. Um, you know, if, 
the, the one problem we have in the hunting industry is nobody can get along anymore. You know, we would be so powerful. And we're such, there's a, so many good people that come together for great causes. You know, Larry Mauer's cause, yeah. um, Sheds for Santa, and a bunch of other ones, you know. We blow the socks off of any other community when it comes to rallying the troops and helping somebody out in need. Um, but uh, then on the very next, you know, then in the very next yeah, day, we're, we're we'll, in each other's throats. Yep. You're the bow hunter. Oh, you shoot a recurve. That's not, you know, you shoot a compound. That's not fair. I'm a recurve guy. Oh, you shoot an inline. I'm a cap and ball guy. Yeah. You know, I try not to get into that, and I've been I've been pretty good at not getting in and making comments for the last year and a half, two years, because it's a waste of my time. Yeah. But you know, I I would love to just see people respect each other more, and I'm and you know I'm guilty of that. But uh, talk, talk. Know, we, we, go ahead. Oh, just I was just gonna have you talk about like you know taking it one step further of um, you know especially relative to the trail cameras um, when you see. Like people spend all summer scouting a buck, you know, you were talking about just, just heading out and find a new country and come what may sort of an attitude. And now it's like, Oh, I found that buck on trail camera. I've been watching him all summer. That's my buck. You know, and, it, and if people want to do that, that's fine. That's just not, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, you know, it's just not me. And uh, I don't have a problem with it. I just have a problem with me doing it because it brings out the evilness in me of, oh, that son of a bee camp right where that buck's been bedded or, or yeah. something. You know, it, it, I did it for a few years. I didn't like it, so I don't. I don't really do it anymore. I, I hang a few cameras. I've got three or four cameras. I run them year round. I change the batteries in the fall. Um, it's almost more. I feel like it's more from. Um, giving the, the animals the salt they need and, and just kind of wondering. It's it's so fun checking a trail camera. <laughs> but, you know, when it comes down to it, I've never killed a buck that I've had on trail camera or seen a buck on trail camera and then hunted him because I, I don't enjoy that. It's almost like it's just something for me to do during the summertime. Yeah. You know, I, I arrowed a, a 208-inch buck. And I caught so much crap. I had guys call me a liar, asking Sawyer if I was lying. Um, they, they says, how long had you been scouting him? Did you have him on a trail camera? And I told him I'd never stepped foot in that canyon before in my life. <laughs> and they're like, BS. And five minutes later, they're texting Sawyer while we're selling antler and uh, saying, Steve says you've never been in that canyon before. And he's like, yeah, why? You know, and it's just, it's an old concept, but I just, I don't enjoy finding the buck and trying to keep track of him and wasting my time, even shed hunting. You know, I wasted a lot of time for a couple of years trying to keep an eye on a bull. And our bulls in northern Utah, they, they get restless right when they're shedding. And uh, they'll, they'll, they'll be in one spot all winter. And a week before or a couple of days before they shed, it seems like they just leave and go higher. Yeah. And I didn't enjoy wasting all that time. and. You know, I'm just, I'm just, the uh, older I get, the more I just want to hunt and go see new country. And I think, I think we're a lot better hunter when we go in new country because we're not focused where we seen the buck the last time. Or we're not focused on this is the area that usually produces when we never glass to our left or to our right. We've got tunnel vision and it bites us because I do really well going to new country and glassing everything and not knowing anything and trying to figure it out in a day or two. So, yeah. 
um, are you familiar with some of the trail camera changes that they're, uh, I believe they're just proposed. I don't think they're actually. In Arizona? In Arizona and Nevada, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard of them. What's your, uh, you're probably all for that, or do you have an opinion I, either I, way? I, I, I don't care. I really don't. If guys want to run them and it's legal, let them run them, you know? Um, do you have a I, problem? Do you have a problem when you come up on like a water hole and there's I've I've literally seen fifteen cameras because there's only one tree and there's only water within you know ten miles so there'll be fifteen cameras. That, that bugs me. Yeah. I I think if a guy's got a camera on, I move to the next you know next pond. I've got to where I won't even hang on water. All all three or four of my cameras that I've got hung, they're all on salt. They're near the water but they're over in a thick patch of trees where I don't have to get my camera messed with. I've had so many cameras messed with on water. I'm done with water, but I'm, I'm, I'm the type of guy got a little integrity. And if I walked to a pond back in the day when I was hanging on water and somebody already had one there, I would not hang on. You mean you wouldn't but, open it, check the pictures, yeah. <laughs> delete them, take the camera, move it, steal it. You wouldn't do any of that like all the no, other sir. people do. I will. When I do come into a pond now, um, I will hang I will hang my hat on a camera. I don't want people to have my picture to know where I was. So I will hang my coat or, cam- uh, coat or my hat on the camera. I won't mess with it in any other way besides just hanging my hat on it. And when I, when I go to leave, I'll pick my hat up and, and leave other people's property alone. It's a hard concept. I know a lot of guys don't get it. But yeah, crazy, huh? They, they worked hard for that, you know? Um, they worked hard to buy that, and it's not right to, to mess with them and steal them. How do you think success rates will change if if trail camera and, and scouting was banned? And what I mean by that is if we just went back to the good old days, quote-unquote, where you you went out on opening weekend and you hit the hills and you found what you could find uh, you know on your own two feet that weekend and knock down bucks i mean do you, I think, do you think people I would think be would... son of a bitch sort of just lit a firecracker off in my truck while i'm on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> but one thing he knows that's soon as i will get even i've got my window down because it's hotter than a six dollar pistol and I look over and I see smoke coming off my floorboard, and I'm like, "Okay, here we go." <laughs> but anyway, you might have to edit that out. But um, you know, I I know in the desert areas it'll hurt a lot of those guys because those animals are so dependent on on certain water sources. I don't think it's going to affect people in in northern Utah, Montana, you know, Idaho, and that yeah. as much. Because there's there's just so much more water available, but yeah, it, it would have an effect on on uh, Arizona, Nevada, those drier states. Yeah, I've got to lock my doors. They're coming back with more. Yeah, tell tell Sawyer that this is official business, and that if he ever wants to be on oh, the he, podcast, <laughs> he he knows, Dustin. I get even. I've got I've got videos to prove it. He was he was painting the bathroom. And me and my little boy, I set the phone up and videoed it uh, about, this is about three or four years ago. He got me pretty good coming out of the shop. He videoed it, and I, I might have screamed like a little girl. I can't remember what I did, but he posted it on Instagram. And I said, don't worry, I'll get even, but I like this firecracker. Often it lands at his feet, and he heard it hit, 
and he looks at me and Ty and knows we, you know, we got these big grins on our face. And he looks down about the time he sees it and blows up and he jumps and screams. It was awesome. <laughs> but well, that that brings up a, a um, some of the questions that we got on Instagram. You've you've got some. <laughs> I, I can't tell if these guys are your actual friends or if I, you just got I some. I can't either. I can't either. <laughs> some enemies, but so- Sawyer was one of them. And his, yeah, he was. Yeah, his question was how how does it feel to be that ugly? And you know, I don't know what he's enemies? talking about. Who needs enemies when you got friends like that? <laughs> <clears throat> now we we uh, you know. We, I always try to hang around with guys that'll that'll do that kind of stuff. You know, life's boring sometimes, and you got to mix it up. And you know, it, it it's too fun to be messing with guys. You know, I, that's that's just who I am. You know, and if if you don't like that, I'm probably not going to hang around much because you're going to keep getting it. Yeah, your other your other buddy uh, at Snakeman underscore he's asking why uh, why do people idolize shed hunters? Get a real hero. <laughs> you know him him and I, you know we've had our differences in the past. I'm trying to get along with more people, but I won't go into a lot of detail. But you know, I don't feel like they idolize anybody. I feel like they like their content, and they want to see their content, and they will follow. Some of them unfollow after a while. Oh, I, I've unfollowed some really good guys. I know they're good guys, but I don't like their content. Yeah. I don't like seeing the same thing over and over and over in my news feed. And I'll unfollow them. It's not that I don't like them. It's just, I, you know, I don't like seeing the same thing, whether it's all coyotes or whether it's all gym, you know, workouts or... You know, I like seeing a lot of different things. I have nothing against that person, but I've unfollowed a lot of people, and I hope I haven't offended anybody. No, I mean it's you know it's a it's a crazy concept, right? But like if if we were in real life, you know, there's that's the thing. There's so many things on on so there's so many different categories of people that are passionate about different things on social media. Well, let's take like let's take flexing at the gym, for example, or taking selfies at the gym, like. <laughs> If, if I, I, I go to the gym every day, I rarely post about it anymore. I go to the gym every day. Um, if there's a guy at the gym who wants to be over in the corner of the gym flexing in front of the mirrors and looking at like, it happens. It happens almost every day at the gym. Guess yeah. what? I just I just walk away and I ignore it and I do my thing and I don't have to go up and, and tell him that I hate it or, you know, or anything like that or cause or, a, a stir. Or tease him on social media or anything right. else. But some for some reason, you know, people get pretty tough on Instagram or social media, and and that same, you know, theoretically that same situation happens on social media. And and a, why are you following them in the first place? And b, you know, you wouldn't have that much, uh, you know, wherewithal to walk up to someone in real life and talk like that, you know. But it's it's interesting how people get, uh, you know. And I I I I hope that this guy. I mean, I. I don't know him, and I, I assumed you guys were actually kind of friends, and he was probably just, you know, poking fun. But uh, I sent him, a, he, he, he asked if that was Rory Rasmussen's hat, and I text him a picture, and hopefully he listens to this, but, you know. Yeah. You know, we're all, we all got tempers of some sort, and we all, we're all hotheads in one way or the other, and, you know, nobody's perfect. But uh, <laughs> the older I get, 
the less drama I want, and I hope guys forgive me for for stuff I've done. <laughs> but uh, you know, life's too short to get caught up. You know, lately I've been trying not like I used to get in bed and I'd scroll through Instagram for an hour and a half, two hours. And uh, I've I've been trying not to do that. You know, I've been trying to talk to my wife instead of doing that. And I've been trying to hang out with my kids after I get done working instead of jump on Instagram. You know, it's not that I don't like it. It's just that I was spending way too much time doing it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want life to fly by and have spent it on social media. Yeah, It's a great tool. It's a great, you know, advertising platform. Um, I've met some dear friends in my life a lot of them off of there that I would have never, ever met any other way. Right. But, you know, I am trying to tone it down a little bit on there and uh, do more family-oriented stuff and, uh, and, and and not, you know, I'll scroll. I'll scroll for 10 minutes, and then I try to get off. You know, I don't want to waste my life away looking at what, you know, other people are doing. I want to go do, so to speak. Well, speaking of going and doing, uh, another question at Millennial Hunters, one of my, like, like you said, someone that's, uh, that I've met on social media, just through social media, um, and, and kind of, we, we, uh, follow each other, but, um, he's, he's wondering how, how do you pick your shed spots? I mean, is it something where you kind of, at this point have your honey holes or are you con like, it, it sounds like after talking to you, you probably have, you're probably looking for <laughs> quite a few new areas. Um, yeah, I'll, all my old honey holes, Dustin, are not honey holes anymore. <laughs> you know, I can't go anywhere in, you know, down south, first week of March without seeing boot tracks or four-wheeler tracks or something. But, you know, what I what I try to do is think out of the box. You know, a lot of guys hit the same area the, the same way every year. So I'll just, I'll just try to swing lower, higher, in the middle. Um, I found a lot of horns opening morning in Wyoming between boot tracks or boot tracks on either side of me or horse tracks on either side of me. <laughs> you know, it was easy to see. It snowed all the night before and it was really muddy. And it was easy to see tracks that day. So once I hit a track, I'd swing left or right and just kind of think out of the box. But, you know, anymore, I've kind of got my general areas, my general units that I like to hit. And I'll just mix it up in those units and always, always be hunting for that little pocket that, just gets bypassed or just a little too deep for the foot soldiers to get into and a little hairy for most horse guys to want to go into. And, uh, you know, that's how I pick my spots anymore. I'll, I'll do a lot of Google everything and, uh, try to find those, find those benches between 65 and 7,500 feet. It doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to matter if I'm in Northern Utah you know, Nevada, Arizona, it, it always seems like those, that, that 6,500 to 7,500 is where the groceries are when they're shedding. Yeah. But. You know, and it's, it's interesting, like, from someone who's not a shed hunter um, and, and just kind of on the outskirts of this game, like, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because, like, with, with actual, like, actual hunting permits in the fall, there's definitely, especially nowadays with, with the, you know, the access of social media, um, units get talked about too much. You know, there's Wyoming, for example, everyone 
and their dog, you know, for 10 years has been talking about region G region G where it's like, you know, the, the, the advantage though, is there's so many places to, to hunt good mule deer in Wyoming that eventually if everyone keeps going to region G, there's going to be another unit where the people aren't applying and, you know, either there's less people there or it's easier to draw a tag because everyone's trying to apply for that one unit, but with shed hunting. And, and so those of us who are back, like those of us who are kind of deep into the, you know, the state or the, the Western hunting game, like we can kind of, I, I feel like if we're, if we're kind of up to speed on what's going on, we can kind of react based on what units are hot and say, well, this one now is kind of blowing up. I'm going to go over here. And even if I see less deer or less people, eventually I'm going to get into them, you know, cause it's just going to switch. But like shed hunting almost <coughs> seems like that, that you don't have that advantage because it's like, there's no, there's nothing keeping a guy out of every area, for example, you know, I mean, there, yeah. you know, is that, is that kind of what you found where like you're saying, like I have my routes and I know that these guys have their routes. It's all, it's almost becoming like predictable where you just know that, you know, these spots are just getting hit and hit and hit and hit. Like, is that kind of, you, you nailed it on the head and I kind of do the hunt and what you said about the hunt and jumping units, all, all jump areas where there might not be as many elk. Like, I've gone into areas, and I've picked up the same bull sheds, um, you know, three, you know, and I might not get both sides, but I'll put pick up three to four or five years off the same bull because there's not a lot of bulls in there, and there's not a lot of people that pound those units, and I'll go in there, and I'll load up a pack meal full of chalk and white and maybe an occasional brown, because they're tough to find because there's no winter range. And you just, it's literally, my favorite hashtag is miles for piles, because that's all it is anymore. You know, I'll turn around at the end of the day thinking we had a crappy day. We rode 30, 35 miles, sometimes more. And and look back, and George is loaded down. And I'm just like, well, where did we get all them? You know, it was just one here, one over there, another mile, here's two. You know, and it is literally any more miles for piles. It's just how far you can go and how much country you can cover. Yeah. What's the craziest? My my good buddy uh, at Cole Shakes, he was asking, what's the craziest or the coolest thing that you found on a shed hunt? Um, you know, I found a few arrowheads last year. Last year on an opener, I found a big old four point with a huge drop in main beam. And I found a buffalo buffalo horn. A buffalo horn, you know, that really intrigues me. It's really, really neat. Um, you know, it's hundreds of years old that just got washed out of the ground last year. You know, that kind of stuff's really neat. I love for, I love old forgotten places, the old sheep herder and cowboy trails. I've found trails in areas, hunted a mile with Dallas Haymeyer, and you know, it's a hour and a half before dark with two and a half hours from the truck and we find a trail and we've got to get on that bench and and we sniff the trail out and they're hard to see in spots and then you get the rugged stuff and you know it's you've only got one way to go mm-hmm. and you know we get we've got on these benches and found old early early 1900 writings in the rocks from the sheep herders and the cowboys and you know, the locals didn't even know about this trail when I told them about it, and they were just dumbfounded that it was even there. 
and I love finding that old history, you know, and uh, sometimes I think I was born a century too late, but technology sure is nice. Yeah. All the stuff we have, all the toys and gadgets we have now for hunting and work and everything. I think any of us that like to spend time just in the backcountry away from all of it. Uh, away from that. Hey, we've all had that thought, man, I was just, just a century or two too late. But <laughs> I don't think we're tough enough anymore to do that type no. of lifestyle, but it's sure nice dreaming about it. <laughs> yeah. from, our, from our nice cozy bed every <laughs> night in our nice house. <laughs> Oh, what uh, I want to talk real quick. Um, I don't. I don't have a lot of time uh, to make this a two-hour podcast. But <laughs> what's uh, what's the craziest place you've taken your mules, or what's the craziest situation you've been in with your mules? Man, we've uh, we've been in a bunch of them, and uh, this is this was a couple years ago. Had a couple buddies and. Uh, you know, they're not real horse guys or anything, but my mules are good enough that we can get away with it, throw them on it, and take them into nasty stuff. And we were coming along a side hill, and if this side hill was dry, we couldn't even erode it. But it was it was moist in the spring, and the mules were sinking in, could get traction. We were up on this dirt side hill. And uh, <clears throat> uh, the rock was probably maybe 15 feet wide. And at the angle of the side hill, I mean, it was just steep, nasty. And I turned my mule and I went up and around this rock. And about the time I got up and around it, my Sam mule comes up to it with a buddy on it, Jeff, that used to run Antler Fest. And uh, Sam looks at me going up around and looks straight across and goes, well, that's a lot shorter. And he hops up on this rock. And I'll guarantee you not even a quarter of his hoofs were touching. That's how steep the hill was. And he walked across this rock. Well, about this time, George, um, Kip, was on George. Well, George had shoes on his, on his back feet because he's got a crooked back foot. He jumps up on that rock, and I literally thought George was going to the bottom with him. And I, I cringed and looked away. And I turned around. They both made it across, and, they, you know, just mind-blowing that a mule could even do that. And Jeff goes, Sorensen, did you turn and look away? Did you cringe and look away? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I didn't want to watch you guys die. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've we've had some crazy ones, man. And uh, um, same group of guys plus a few more. We were sitting on a, on a flat one time, and we were two hours from that trail I was telling you about we found, and you know, it's two and a half hours off from there, from the bottom of that trail. And I'd been hunting away off this mesa forever. And I finally turned to him. I said, guys, we need to turn around. It's five and a half hours from the truck from here. And we can keep trying to get off this mesa. And it'll only be, you know, two and a half, three hours. And it's getting close to dark. And I said, we might have to sleep the night up here. But I'm just telling you right now, these are our options. We can keep going and try to find a place. And, uh, you know, they're all high in spirit. Yeah, let's keep going. And mm-hmm. Just at dusk, we found a way off. We had a we had to knock some rocks out of the way and, and throw some sticks down and kick dirt off the ledge onto the sticks and rocks to build a little bit of a trail and jump them off one ledge onto another that was slanted in a 30-foot drop. And uh, it was pretty hairy and pretty crazy. But, 
you know, you, you condition your animals to that. We had two horses. Or we had three horses on that trip, and these horses will do just about anything a mule can do. And, uh, you know, you condition that. You get them used to it slowly, and, and uh, they're in shape. You can do some pretty amazing things that nobody would even think of on mules and horses. And uh, Why, you know, yeah. that's part of the adventure for me, Dustin. Not the the unknown. I I think I love that part of the adventure shed hunting. Well, in these rugged, rugged spots. If you're using one thing I've learned is if you're using pack animals, I don't care if it's mules or horses or llamas or goats. There's gonna be some sort of <laughs> there's gonna be some sort of unknown because <laughs> you can't predict everything they're gonna do. Yep. Oh, it yep, always keeps it sure. interesting. Yeah. Why, uh, why do you like mules? You know, one of my bosses got me into them. I, I grew up on horses, and uh, he had a two-year-old mule that didn't like him, and it liked me, and I'd been riding it all summer, and we come to a hill, and he was leading, and he bells off, and it looked like he was just going off the end of the world. And my buddy turned and looked at me and goes, where the heck is he going? I said, I don't know, but I got his mule. I'm following him. And he goes, I'll meet you at the truck. I ain't going down that. <laughs> so we, we had to take turns going down these chutes because you'd roll rocks on each other if you didn't. And we got down on an open face and hunted our way down, and we're just walking them and get to a, about a 10-foot ledge. My buddy slides off, pulls on his mule, and it bells right off. And it's jumping two, three feet above and landing four or five feet below. You know, It was 15, 20-foot jump. And the dirt's soft, and it's a good landing, and it's angled right. You know, it's not jumping on the flat ground or anything. And that blew my mind. And I, he's like, just just jump off, and, and that mule should come. He's young, but he should come. And that two-year-old mule put his head down, leaned down, just belled right off. And I was just like, I have been shed hunting some hell holes, walking, and I could ride these mules in there. And it just intrigued me, and, and, and that's the reason – that's the main reason I got into mules. It's just once once they trust you and you condition them and they're in shape, you can just about take them through anything you dare take them. I've I've been in spots where mules have jumped off fifteen foot ledges by themselves because they've got separated from the group, and they it's no big deal to them. I told the city slicker I was with, I said, watch this. And the mule just slides off to about three or four feet and bells when it gets steep. He goes, how the heck did you know he's going to do that? I said, the body language, he was bending down, crouching down. And, uh, you know, it's just crazy what they will do, you know, with very, you know, all you got to do is just ask them to do it and they'll do it. They trust us. And uh, I've been in situations with Dallas Haymeyer that, we have literally tied two lead ropes together to have enough lead rope to lead them off ledges. Oh and they'll slide for 10, 15 feet, total control, locked up, butts, butt way down, keeping their center, center of gravity back, and they'll launch at 10, 12 feet mark and land in that soft soil, and it's just, it is one heck of an adventure, Dustin. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I was just just reminiscing as you were talking about that, about, uh, you know, and, and, and we, we grew up with the horses, um, never mules, but now we've kind of transitioned to pack llamas and, and they're, they're the same way, man. Like 
just when you think that they can't or they won't or they're not, you know, they won't make it through a spot like they just poke through um they just poke through like, you know, like they've done it a million times. Yep. And that's just I I don't care what animal it is, it's just impressive to watch a well-trained horse, mule, llama, goat, whatever just do I, what do what they're kind of born and meant to do. Yeah, I watched a llama in Wyoming. It was running free. Some guys had lost it. <laughs> And I watched him. We met him face-to-face in the worst part of the trail you could have ever imagined. And, you know, a lot of horses. I've never had a horse or a mule blow up from a llama. But a lot of horses, well-trained horses, they will blow up. They hate him. Yep. Yep. They hate him for some reason. It's so weird. This this llama, Dustin, it dropped out onto the edge of the world and walk where I will guarantee you there is no man that would dare lead this llama through this where it walked. And I was just like, holy crap. And it went right around us and on its merry way. And uh, guys, they found it. They brought llamas in again the week we were in there, and they caught it, and they kept it tied up real well that week. Well, you and I, we're going to have, we're going to podcast again sometime, uh, and we're going to do a mule llama and then maybe talk about mule deer hunting too. How's that sound? I love it, dude. Mule deer, mule deer is my passion. Yep. That's, well, uh, like I said, I, uh, man, this didn't, it didn't even go where I thought it would go, honestly. And that's just perfect. It never does. No, it, it rarely does. And, uh, and, and even, and, and frankly, when it does, when it goes where I plan it to go, it's it's not the best episodes. And so this, when when the when you get on the phone with someone or you get on the line with someone that's just you can just have a conversation and it doesn't really matter what the script is. That's that's a good podcast, and this has been a good podcast. So I appreciate right. your uh, your time. I uh, I've got a, a few little questions here. I'm actually interested to ask you, and these are just kind of the Man, I, I use the word fire round. It's like the most cliche, I think, thing in the podcast world now. Um, and so what, maybe. What word? Oh, fire, the fire round. Just uh, just some questions gotcha. here that I kind of ask everybody the same ones. Um, elk, mule deer, or antelope? Mule deer. Mule deer. Mechanical or fixed blade broadhead? Fixed. What's your, uh, what's your dream hunt? Marco Polo. Marco Polo. I don't even, I mean, I know generally where those are, but like what country are we talking? Kyrg- there's, there's, uh, One of the Sistans? Yep, there's, <laughs> one, there's some smaller ones in Kyrgyzstan and some, uh, the bigger ones are in Tajikistan, but you're going to pay ten, twenty thousand $20,000 more. Yeah, that would be incredible. So, what uh, What do you like as a food item in the backcountry? My favorite thing in the backcountry is what I learned from Randy Johnson. I went on a sheep hunt with him, and he hands me this vacuum-sealed sandwich, and it looked like the most disgusting thing on the face of this earth. It was a peanut butter and honey sandwich, and it was vacuum-sealed. And I hate soggy bread, and it looked like a soggy mess, but I was starving at lunchtime, and I opened that thing up, and there's not a hunting season goes by that my wife doesn't make me 20 or 30 of them. It, it like crystallizes the bread and caramelizes. Oh. It is. I have I have shared that with so many people, and they look at it. I'm like, dude, just try it. And we took a veteran shed hunting, and he sends me a picture within two days of getting back of a vacuum seal, a brand new. He went and bought a vacuum sealer, 
and some sandwiches he was made for lunch, you know. And then they, they'll keep, if it's cool, they'll keep for, a, you know, a week or two. Yeah. And, uh, you know, pe- that peanut butter gives you tons of energy. The honey does, too. And uh, There's nothing hands, nothing know, better when that, go-to. yeah, there's nothing better when that honey hits the bread and crystallizes, like you're saying, just kind of like, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> um, last one I can think of is what's your, uh, what's your go-to, like, backcountry rifle caliber? Um, I'm a crappy shot when I'm shooting at deer and elk. I can, I can shoot pretty good in the summertime at rocks and milk jugs, but you put a deer in front of me and I lose it. You put a spike elk in front of me, I lose it. And that's why I hunt. But, uh, I shoot a custom chambered 3378 Weatherby and, uh, I really like that caliber. It, it's got knocked down from zero to 1500 yards. I very rarely shoot past, you know, 800 yards with it. Um, I, I can and I'm capable of doing it, but I, I can always, I always try to close the distance um, as short as I can get it. And uh, but you know that that bullet that I'm shooting is a 230 grain bullet, and it takes care of me and my crappy shooting buck fever, so to speak. And it doesn't matter if a buck's at 200 or 800 yards, I I lose it. And, uh, you know, I've, I missed deer. I posted about a deer I shot, I think he was 240 yards. I missed the first shot. Dead rest off a bipod, bipod in the backpack. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, get, I get so wound up. People that hunt with me just laugh. So well, it's fun, and that's why we do it. We do it to get wound up and, you know. Yeah, those those are the ones that you look back on and you enjoy the most is when it just gets, like, you lose your emotions or it gets crazy or you just. <laughs> <laughs> my last question, well, not my last question, my last one of these questions for you is, uh, are you a better shed hunter or, like, big game hunter in the fall? You know, I'm, I'm kind of a has-been when it comes to shed hunting. My job doesn't let me get out. But you know what they say, it's better to be a has-been than it never was, right? <laughs> you know, I think my I think my passion, I'd hate to pick between the two of them, but, you know, my, my passion's mule deer hunting and, and, and hunting those out-of-the-way places and that, and I, I would have to go with, you know, maybe not, I hate to say that I'm better here or better there, but I would lean towards hunting, you know, the actual... If you had to choose. Part. Yep. If I had to choose, it would be a sad, sad day, but I would definitely go with the hunting. Awesome. Where Where can people, uh, I know on Instagram you're at, uh, at antlerbuyer1976. Is that kind of like if someone wanted to reach out to you and become friends, is that the place or is there another spot? Yeah, I, I, I spend most of my time on Instagram. Facebook is so mm-hmm. suppressed right now and, you know, I can post the same post on Facebook as Instagram, and the views just aren't there, you know. So when I waste my time, I do it on Instagram, and you know. Um, what about in person? In in person, you know, my, my number's here and there all over the Internet and that, and uh, I, I've got enough buyers now. I don't really get out and buy from people except for my regulars around northern Utah. So, you know, I usually send people to a, to a buyer around the state or, 
you know, the states around us. Do you, uh, but do you just go to like the expos or anything like that or where, like if someone I, just wanted I, to. Yeah, I, I do go to the expo. I don't do a booth or anything. Um, I kind of hang out in a few other friends' booths. And uh, this year I, I, I spent a lot of time in the Hunts for the Brave booth. Which is a nonprofit organization, 100% nonprofit for veterans, and uh, you know I'd, I'd rib all I'd rib all my friends that would come through there. You know, hey, how much money you got on you? You mm-hmm. want to send a vet on a hunt? And you know, and most of them would squirm and walk away, and then few of them would open their wallets up. But I really enjoyed hanging out in that booth. You know, uh, one of my buddies, Bryant, was sitting there, and. Uh, Zinky yeah. came walking in, and none of us said a thing. Bryant went out, introduced himself. He's an amputee veteran, and there were four or five of us there working the booth, and we just sat back and listened to those two warriors talk. And you know, we we're just like a bunch of schoolgirls. I mean, we we're just sitting there, and it was so cool to listen. That hey, we were in Iraq at the same time when this went down. And this went down, and yeah. it was really, really neat to see to see that, and just sit back and not say anything, and just listen to these two vets talk. That you know, that made the expo to, for me. You know, that and a couple other things, um, working with those vets. So that's, that's what it's all about. Yes, sir, it is. Well, Steve, I'll uh, I'll get you off the horn here. I want to uh, first. I want to give you credit um, as one of my guests. I want to give you credit for just. Man, just being one of the good ones. Um, you know, I not that everyone I interview isn't isn't one of the good ones, but um, you know, you can just tell that you uh, you approach life with with passion and you keep important things important. And then uh, you know, give you credit for just being being a family man, uh, most of all. And I, and I appreciate that. I try. I don't always succeed, Dustin, but I I am trying, man. So. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity. I, I, I love talking, hunting. I love these podcasts, the ones I've done. I've really, really enjoyed them, so I appreciate the opportunity. Sure. My last question for you then is uh, why do you hunt or why do you shed hunt the backcountry? For the adventure, for the unknown, um, you know, getting in those spots where, you, you don't know if you're going to make it out that night. You don't know if you can get off the next mesa. The last, the last main big shed hunt I went on, or one of them, I got out a lot more this year. I climbed down three sets of drop-offs, and the last one was just super nasty. We, we did a YouTube video on it, and uh, just a quick five-minute or four-minute. And uh, I come back up, and I look at my buddy, and he's always a worrywart. And I says, dude, I found a way off, but you ain't going to like it. And, you know, that's, that's my main thing of hunting the backcountry, getting away from people and the adventure of it all, you know, living, living off of what you can get in there on a meal. And uh, that's, that's why I do it, and that's why I love it. Awesome. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. 
For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.